Monday, September 30th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, for some reason, I had to be reminded to chase volume in fantasy football. It's something I should know better by now. But week four was nice enough to deliver that lesson to me. We're going to get to some key backfield situations where that lesson might be at play going forward. We'll also assess some of the big wide receiver performances from week four, what they mean going forward, as well as finish with the streaming defense options for each of the next two weeks, week five and week six. On DraftSharks.com right now, you can find free agent focus articles for week five covering offense, team defense streamers, IDPs. You can find updated rest of the way rankings along with shark bites tracking all of the important injury news. Not going to mess around too much with that today. We're still waiting on updates on some of the key guys from over the weekend, but you'll find all those in the shark bites section, even if you're not a DS insider. So let's start off this podcast, Jared, with a guy that I should have believed in more heading into the weekend. And it's Wayne Gallman. What's your takeaway from his big day? I mean, you got about the best possible outcome you could have hoped for considering he scored two touchdowns. But I mean, the important thing is he got the volume, like you mentioned, to the top there. I mean, yeah, that, that definitely was the theme of the week. Like not only with Wayne Gallman, but I know Leonard Fournette is someone we talked about who was getting awesome volume. He had the monster game. Um, on Johnson we'll talk about later who, you know, capitalized on the volume. But yeah, Gallman, 18 carries and seven targets. Um, you know, any running back getting that type of workload is going to be a strong fantasy play. That said, I mean, it, it was the great matchup. Um, the next two weeks now, it's Minnesota and New England. If you're okay at running back without Gallman, I might look into selling high on him this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that he's. it's worth looking into trading him away. Obviously, the particulars of that are going to depend a lot on what else you have and what might be available. But certainly, any time a guy like Wayne Gallman comes off a big game like this, it's at least worth doing a price check. He tied for ninth in the league in rushing attempts this week, 18 carries. He tied for seventh among running backs and targets, seven targets in that game, caught six for 55. So, you know, not only the two touchdowns, which is always, no matter how good you are, there's some luck involved in that. It's encouraging if you did pay for him last week that he got 25 opportunities his first time out. As many as Ezekiel Elliott got this week, only Christian McCaffrey, David Montgomery, and Chris Carson had more. Certainly, the matchups get a lot tougher the next two weeks. I will say, though, that the level of work that Wayne Gallman got yesterday has me encouraged for his usability against the Vikings next week more so than I thought I would feel for him as of today. And not because I think he's going to do much against the Vikings, but I don't think the Vikings can score enough to take the game away from Wayne Gallman. I think he'll be involved and still get a good amount of volume. Yeah, and, and I mean, that passing game work gives them the floor we're looking for um you know even in that Patriots game I don't think he'll do much on the ground Giants should be playing from behind but you know if he's going to be that involved in the pass game I think he's, he's going to be a fine star so again he's not he's not someone to unload he's not you know going to be in the 40s in our week five and six running back rankings you know, he's probably still going to be ranked as a lower end RB2 I'm just saying you know we we pretty much saw his ceiling this past week so you know again if you're okay at running back without him I might look to cash in right now because this is probably as high as Gallman's trade value is going to be. Yeah, for sure. And I do think that he's going to be horrible against the Patriots. I don't I, <laughs> I don't think that he's going to have like a Le'Veon Bell game where he catches 10 passes for 20 yards. I, I think that that one's going to be a rough one, but he could be okay against Minnesota on the ball. Yep. 
And then after those two games, of course, Arizona and Detroit are more positive. So, you know, if you aren't finding a nice selling market for Wayne Gallman, hold on to him and you'll probably get another couple of decent games out of him at least. Saquon's talking like he's going to be back within the next couple of weeks now. We'll see. I mean, the timeline we got was 48 weeks, but, you know, he is already out of his walking boot. So it seems like he's making progress. I mean, that's sort of the other thing is we might only get four games of Gallman as the lead back. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that might be the ideal selling point right now is yeah. go to the Saquon Barkley owner in your league. If that person didn't get Wayne Gallman, say, look, this guy's, you don't even have to say it, but obviously Gallman's worth more to that person than he is to you. So, you know, see sure. what's yep. available. Yep. Now let's look at some of the other running backs who surprised to score two touchdowns this week. And it started on Thursday night, two or more touchdowns, because it started on Thursday night with Jordan Howard, who found the end zone three times, carried 15 times, saw four targets against the Packers, two rushing touchdowns, one receiving score. And the touchdowns, again, fluky for that one. But I think the biggest thing to be aware of here is that Howard saw four targets in a game where Miles Sanders saw zero Darren Sproles saw zero. He played 11 more snaps than Sanders, 26 more snaps than Darren Sproles. It was the first time this year that Jordan Howard has led Philly running backs in snaps played. Right. Um, Also the first time he finished with more opportunities than Miles Sanders. It was 19 opportunities for Howard. That was easily a season high for him. It it was encouraging. He he looked as good as I've ever seen Jordan Howard look. I'm not convinced it's going to change the usage much in the backfield going forward. The, The one good thing I'll say for Howard and Sanders is that Darren Sproles has kind of gone away. He only has three carries and four targets combined over the last three games now. So it's it's kind of down to a two-man backfield committee. And, you know, a two-man committee in this Eagles offense, which I still think is, you know, one of the better offenses in the league, I think, I think it could make Howard and Sanders, you know, lower-end fantasy starters going forward. Yeah, I, I think that it should. I think Thursday night was a matter of Jordan Howard – being the hotter hand as opposed to Miles Sanders being removed from the passing game. Cause I, you know, I don't think that long-term Jordan Howard is the receiving back. Now that said, Miles Sanders has been big time up and down so Mm -hmm. far. So I would, I think that we have to at least head into week five expecting Jordan Howard to be the lead touch guy in that backfield. I do agree that there's room for both of those guys going forward and that Darren Sproles hasn't given any reason to make him a major factor in touches going forward. I think they'll both have value. I think right now it's Howard. And I think ideally Philly would like for both of these guys to be fantasy relevant level running backs going forward. Yeah. And I would imagine they'll both be in starter territory in our week five rankings and that home game against the Jets, obviously a good spot for rushing volume. Howard, again, I mean, you can say with all these backs that score multiple touchdowns, I think Howard is a sell high if someone in your league thinks, you know, that he's a top 20 running back the rest of the way. Yeah, I doubt that you're going to find that, but you know, it's it's always worth checking to see if somebody is buying on it. Just go to the most running back desperate owner in your league and, you know, make an offer that's un- that's unfair <laughs> to your side <laughs> just to see how desperate that person is. The worst that happens is they're like, "Come on, jerk." And that's the end of it. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Austin Eckler scored two touchdowns. That one really not surprising at all against the Dolphins. 18 carries, five targets for him, 122 total yards, touchdowns rushing and receiving. Of course, the question there is what happens now that Melvin Gordon's back? I'm going to have to assume that Melvin Gordon is more than an ambulance come week five. Yeah, so I would assume that too. Um, Exactly how the workload is going to be split. We're all just guessing at this point. Anthony Lynn did say, I believe it was on Thursday, he said – that Gordon will quote go back to number one as soon as he's ready. So you know, Lynn's not Lynn's not messing around. Gordon Gordon's gonna be the lead back here. 
before long. And, and it could be a Zeke Elliott situation where they sort of ease him in. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a 50-50 split this coming week. Beyond that, yeah, we're all just guessing. I still think Eckler could be a sell high right now, um, especially coming off that two touchdown game. But again, it depends. You know, it's how the other owners in your league view him and view this backfield going forward. Yeah, and there's a wide range of possible expectations, I guess, for Eckler at this point because he has had a strong start to the season, stronger than I think the Chargers even would have guessed for him. We all know that Melvin Gordon's back, and none of us know what Melvin Gordon's going to do. So for for our sake for projecting it, I mean, the Chargers said heading into the Miami game that Gordon was only going to play in an emergency. He didn't play. Obviously, there wasn't an emergency against the worst <laughs> team in the league. So we ha- we kind of have to take them for their word at this point. I think that we probably head into week five expecting a fairly even split because we probably shouldn't expect Melvin Gordon to be ready for a full workload in his first game back. But I think we head in expecting an even split and then we watch to see what happens there before projecting it forward. And I, you know, I certainly think from this point on, we have to assume that Melvin Gordon's going to be the better fantasy back between him and Austin Eckler. Yeah, that, that's my assumption. We've gotten useful fantasy games from Eckler, even when Gordon was in you know, more of a workhorse role because Eckler is going to remain involved in the passing game. And again, it's possible that he plays more this season than he has in the past, just you know, with Gordon coming off the long holdup. Yeah, and even if he's just playing the same way they did in the past, I mean, early last season, we had three plus catches in each of the first three games with Melvin Gordon in there. Eckler certainly popped up more once Gordon went down, but We know that he's going to be involved and he's not going to be a zero for fantasy if you aren't able to sell him high at this point. So I wouldn't go out of my way just yet, especially if you all if you do also have Gordon on your roster. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is at least in the short term here, the the Chargers are thin on weapons. I mean, Hunter Henry's out for at least another few weeks. Who knows about Mike Williams with his back injury? Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't seem close to playing this past Sunday, so he might miss another game. So, I mean, you know, Eckler could be the number three option in this offense, even even you know with Gordon back to a full role. Yeah, feel free to do a price check, but don't feel like you have to unload Eckler for whatever you can find. Todd Gurley, a strange day for him and a strange day overall in Bucks <laughs> Rams. Five carries, 16 yards, two touchdowns on the ground, 11 targets, which were the third most for his career in a single game, seven catches, 54 yards. So It's not so strange that he didn't see a lot on the ground because the Rams fell way behind quickly in that game and were chasing the rest of the way. Jared Goff attempted 68 passes. So I don't (laughs) think that we can look too deeply into the 11 targets. The two touchdowns, a little bit fluky, obviously more likely when you're on a, when you're a good running back in a good offense. But I'm taking away from this that it, it might be a potential selling time for Todd Gurley because he has been fine, but his work is obviously down overall from previous Mm -hmm. as we expected. And the Rams just aren't quite, the Rams are fine, but they're not quite the Rams of the past two seasons. No. Yeah. I mean, if you watch Rams games, it does not look like the offense we saw over the first half of last season. So I I don't, I don't feel different about Gurley now than I did prior to yesterday's game. Like you said, that was just a strange game. 70 dropbacks for Jared Goff versus just 10 total running back carries. It was nice to see Gurley get involved in the passing game, you know, when they they did go so pass heavy. He's played 70 plus percent of the Rams offensive snaps now in three of four games. The fourth game, he was like 64 percent. Gurley is 19th among running backs in total opportunities. That's carries plus targets. He's sitting 
18th at the position in non-PPR points, 14th in PPR. That's about where I expect him to finish the season. So, I mean, you know, if someone in your league still views him as a top 10 running back, then yeah, maybe you can look to sell. But again, I I don't think he's going to, you know, fall from, you know, how he's produced these first four weeks. I agree. I think he's fine going forward, but he overall it's been less receiving usage than I would have expected going in. Uh, alternating with Malcolm Brown, you know, necessarily is going to cut into the touchdown opportunities for a team that's not running the ball in as much as it has in recent seasons. They're overall, the Rams are down from 6.4 yards per play last year to 5.7 yards per play this year. And quietly, the last two seasons, Todd Gurley actually saw his playing time and touches dip a little bit in the second half of each of those two years, even if you don't account for the two games he missed late last season. So, I think when you factor all that in and the possibility that the knee becomes an issue as we get further into the season, I'm not panicking on Todd Gurley. And like you said, I don't feel differently right now than I did on Thursday. I just think that right now we might have a better chance of somebody saying, oh, Todd Gurley's back. He scored twice. This is what Todd Gurley should do when there are a bunch of points. And maybe you get a little boost out of him if you have uh, some extra at running back and you're looking for somebody that you can sell higher than he might produce the rest of the way and get something big in return. Yeah, I mean, it never hurts to get a price check on a player. I do, you know, think, and I think the Rams are hoping that they don't need to scale Gurley's work back over the second half of the season. I think, you know, the, the issue in the previous couple of years has been they've worked him so much early mm-hmm. that, you know, they sort of had to in the second half. I, I think they are looking to pace him throughout the season. I mean, his total touches have been pretty consistent week to week. You know, it seems like they want him in that. 15 to 18 touch per game kind of range in there and they're being pretty strict keeping them there yeah and that's certainly significantly down from the past couple of seasons yeah yep daryl williams is definitely a guy that i think that you should try (laughs) hard to sell two touchdowns in the narrow victory at detroit eight carries 13 yards to go with those two touchdowns three catches for 43 yards on four targets in the first half of that game daryl williams had two rushing attempts and one target. He had the Chiefs' last three carries of that game where he was the running back for the final drive when they were trying to come back and go ahead of Detroit. He is the receiving back when Damian Williams is out. Damian Williams mm-hmm. is going to be back at some point. And even when Damian Williams remains out, it's LaShawn McCoy easily carrying well ahead of Daryl Williams. So I think take advantage of the fact that he has scored in two straight games and try to sell him hard this week. Yeah, it's a little strange. I mean, the second straight game where the Chiefs sort of went away from LaShawn McCoy late, it sounded like he tweaked the ankle in week three. I'm not sure what happened yesterday for them to go to Darrell Williams well, he's not, late I mean, in the game. I, LaShawn McCoy is just not that good of a receiving back. He can catch screens, but the, it, yeah. they clearly like both Williams as better for downfield stuff. Yeah, I would agree that Williams is probably a sell now because Damian Williams will be back. I would guess within the next couple of weeks. We haven't really heard much on him, but my takeaway here though is that this the Chiefs' offense is going to support two running backs. So I mean, for for as long as Damian Williams is out, I think Darrell Williams is in play. You know, ju- just for the touchdown upside alone, and then. You know, again, when when Damian Williams gets healthy, I do think it's still going to be a a committee in that Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy can both be weekly fantasy starters. Yeah, I certainly think that's true. So elsewhere in backfields that didn't have a two-plus touchdown guy, let's go to Devontae Freeman, who we pretty much have to talk about every week this year. (laughs) And again, didn't do it on the ground yesterday. He had, in week three, he had the 88 carries on 16, I'm sorry, 88 yards on 16 carries against the Colts in that game that Ito Smith left early. Otherwise, he's gone 8 for 19, 11 for 22, and then yesterday 12 for 28. So less than three yards per carry in each of those three games. What Devontae Freeman did give us 
was seven receptions yesterday. So I'm wondering if his big receiving day against the Titans gives us a sell high window on a guy who's been very disappointing overall. Yeah, it could. Um, you know, just, just based on being on Twitter, people don't like Devontae Freeman. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what you're going to get back for him. The rushing efficiency has definitely been poor. Um, you know, Atlanta's offensive line, which we thought was going to be one of the better units in the league. They've dealt with a bunch of injuries and, and they just haven't been very good. Freeman, you know, he did still get 21 opportunities yesterday to just six for Edo Smith. And yeah, a lot of that came in the passing game, but the Falcons played that entire game from behind. So that's not a major surprise. My biggest concern with Freeman is I'm starting to think Edo Smith is like the goal line back because we've seen it a few times now where, you know, when they get inside the 10, it's been Edo Smith for whatever reason. Carries inside the 10 through these first four weeks now, it's three for Edo Smith to just one for Devontae Freeman. Edo Smith has two carries inside the five. Devontae Freeman has zero. So one of the arguments for Freeman was touchdown upside in this Falcons offense. But if he's going to lose that work to Edo Smith, that, you know, that obviously hurts his upside. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, he has just not been very good most of the time. So it wouldn't be shocking at this point to see Edo Smith pass Devontae Freeman at some point this season in just general usage. I, I, I think yeah. you might very well not find a market for Freeman right now. He's running back 24, though, in PPR scoring right now, and I don't think that he deserves to be. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that uh, other bad things have, have happened around him at the position, fantasy, but Devontae Freeman has given us nothing to be optimistic about going forward. So I think before something bad happens where he gets passed overall and he's not even getting the touches and while there's some selling point, I would at least see this week if he can be a key piece in in a a trade that brings you back something good. Yeah, if you think that Devontae Freeman is going to start losing more work to Edo Smith, I would agree that he's a sell. If you don't, though, I mean, again, you know, we want to value opportunity over efficiency. And, you know, again, Freeman did get those 21 opportunities. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, the snaps were about two to one in favor of Devontae Freeman. You know, again, the opportunities 21 to six, Freeman over Smith. So the, the, the gap hasn't closed yet. Whether it will or not, you know, that that's something we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that this Atlanta offense overall is disappointing. And it, they're like they're yeah. getting to the point, especially with a coach who's several years in now, where they're probably going to have to start making some changes if they want to make something happen. Otherwise, some jobs are going to be in jeopardy. Yep. Sony Michelle, 17 carries against Buffalo, 63 yards, fairly nondescript performance, but got the volume that we like. And Rex Burkhead <laughs> got one target, one seven-yard catch. If you're a Burkhead owner, you have to hope that that foot injury that limited him practice all week, and you know we never heard anything about it all week, but he was limited on the injury report, and then there was a report on Sunday morning that he was actually a game time decision. So we'll we'll have to see, we'll have to watch his practice participation this week. If he remains limited, I think he, he's just not going to be usable. And, you know, if he gets back to 100, percent you know, we'll we'll have to see. As always, you know, it's sort of a guessing game in this Patriots backfield. Yeah, I mean, I think he's completely unusable if he doesn't put in any full practices this week. Probably unusable in most places, even in that case. The good thing for Burkhead is that the team remains good enough that a lot of weeks there is going to be enough for multiple running backs there. So I wouldn't drop Burkhead yet. Like you said, though, I'm hoping that it ends up being the foot uh, that was the problem this week. And it's not that this is just how they're going to use the guys. You know, the performances to this point would suggest that giving Sonny Michelle the ball a lot is not the way to go, but you, you never really know how the New England coaches are assessing it. Right, and, and uh, we've talked about the Patriots' schedule remains really nice, uh, at least for the next three weeks now. I think they get the Redskins and the Giants and the Jets, so you know it should be some more run-heavy games where you know maybe they can get Michelle 
and Burkhead if he's healthy, a good amount of carries. Yeah, we'll certainly keep watching the position. James White made his return, 10 targets, 8 catches, 57 yards against Buffalo on a day where the Bills played tough defense and and probably Mm -hmm. made James White more of a factor than maybe he could have been otherwise if New England had more success down the field. Yeah, that, that Bills defense was impressive. It kind of feel bad for the D that they weren't able to, you know, just just score seven more points and get that win. Yeah, right. On to Detroit now. I was a little overexcited to get to it because Carryon Johnson finally had the day that we've all been waiting for from him. Twenty six carries for 125 yards against the Chiefs. Also, two catches in the same game for 32 <laughs> yards. Three targets. He topped 70% playing time for the second straight game. And now over the past two weeks, Carrion Johnson has handled 79% of Detroit's running back carries while Paul Perkins has been a healthy scratch. I think Carrion Johnson is a running back one the rest of the way. Um, I mean, you, you still would like to see more work in the passing game. You know, th- these last two games, though, it's not like he's lost passing game work You know, to Ty Johnson or J.D. McKissick. It's just you know the, the Lions aren't really targeting their running backs and you know maybe that's part of the offense which hurts but if Johnson's going to be playing 75 percent of the snaps and you know getting this much work on the ground I think you know again I think he's an RB1 going forward yeah and at this point in this running back landscape I will take the Marlon Mack role for (laughs) Barry on Johnson and I think it'll you know if he's if it's three or four targets a week then I'll take that yeah, and, and he he still he looks awesome too. I've I've I watched all that Lions Chiefs game yesterday. He he looks awesome. Had had the fumble at the goal line. It was sort of a weird play. He was like mm-hmm. laying on a defender and it got stripped and you know taken to the house by the Chiefs. But 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 the Lions did go right back to Johnson after that. So you know we don't have to worry about him losing work because of the fumble. Yeah, I would hope that coaches don't just treat every fumble the same and and right. realize the difference between a guy close to the ground and somebody strips it out than if they're just you know running and drop it like uh, Chris yeah. Carson or Nelson Aguilar. <laughs> yep. In Denver, Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay continue to be interchangeable. This time it was six targets for Royce Freeman to one for Philip Lindsay against Jacksonville. Carries went nine to six in Lindsay's favor. The snaps went nine more to Freeman than to Lindsay. So, you know, they're just kind of flip flopping everything. It's not like one guy does one thing and one guy does the other for the season. We've got 54 carries for Lindsay to 42 for uh, Freeman. Both guys have 19 targets. I don't, I don't think there's really a whole lot separating the two players at this point. No, yeah, I mean, you, you said interchangeable, and that's the exact right word for this. It's not, it's not a committee where, you know, it's Royce Freeman in short yardage and Lindsey more of the, you know, space pass catching back. They're, they're using the guys in the same exact role, just, you know, rotating them in and out. So at this point, Lindsey and Freeman should really be valued the same. I don't see anything separating them. Yeah, I mean, and even if you look at efficiency in terms of yards per touch, Lindsay's ahead by about a yard and a half in yards per catch, but Freeman's ahead by uh, six tenths of a yard per carry. So, you know, again, they're both very similar. They're similar to in situation to Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard, but they're in an offense that's going to be centered on those running backs. So I think that should mean a little bit more consistent touches than for the Philly backs. While, you know, Philly, we would hope presents more scoring opportunities for its runners. Yeah, I don't know where they are after week four, but I know we talked about um, heading into this past week that both Lindsey and Freeman were top 20 running backs in total opportunities. So yeah, like you said, it's it's a running back centric offense in Denver. So, you know, Lindsey and Freeman are both fantasy starters at this point. Yeah, and we'll check on their standings there for the Thursday podcast, I'm sure. So let's move out of the backfield now and get on to some big wide receiver days from week four. And, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of look past Chris Godwin, even though it was surprising there. He's a good player. And it it was just a good player stepping out in a surprising overall game. Same deal with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. 
Let's move first to the Tennessee guys. A.J. Brown, three catches for 94 yards, two touchdowns on three targets. Corey Davis, six targets, five catches for 91 and a touchdown. I think when you put those two performances together, the takeaway here is that you play your guys against the Falcons. Yep, that is my takeaway. The Titans offense has to be the most Jekyll and Hyde offense in the NFL. I mean, they they that offense looked horrible last Thursday night against the Jags, and then you know they they go to Atlanta, and again, I think that is a takeaway that the Atlanta defense remains bad, just like it was last season. AJ Brown looks awesome. Like I, I think he is going to be a stud in the NFL, but the Titans for whatever reason won't give him a full time role. Even yesterday, he only played on forty four percent of the offensive snaps. Um, he hasn't hit fifty percent through the first four games of the season, so I hesitate even to, to say he should be picked up in uh you know redraft leagues because i don't think we can trust him yet yeah he's the guy that you pick up and then immediately try to trade to somebody else in your league yeah somebody laughs at you for trying to do that <laughs> he also looks really ugly when he's running i thought I, I was when i saw his touch to his first touchdown i thought it was a tight end until i checked the number of the guy running. he's a big dude he's a, he's a big dude <laughs> uh but yeah you have to be Pleased with his performance so far, and what we thought going in, it's not a great situation for his volume. Yep. Cortland Sutton, on the other hand, you were talking about last week that maybe yeah. we were underrating what he's been doing so far, and then he goes out and scores twice against Jacksonville. Nine targets, six catches, 62 yards. Yeah, his lack of touchdowns those first three games, I think, was sort of masking that he was getting good usage and producing pretty well. He's now seen seven-plus targets in all four games this season, averaging 7.8 targets per game, and he's 13th among all wide receivers in yards, so I think... It's always a little scary with Flacco under center, but I mean, I I think Sutton should pretty much be a weekly fantasy starter going forward now. If you're starting anybody in Denver, I would not watch the game. And I mean, really, if you're not starting anybody in Denver, I would recommend not watching Broncos games too. (laughs) I I would agree. Uh, Stephon Diggs stepped out for seven catches, 108 yards on seven targets yesterday. There was a slight buzz on Twitter yesterday morning, and we mentioned last week that he's had good recent numbers against Chicago. So... You know, maybe there's something about this matchup that pays off for him against the Bears. I would not try to take too much out of this, though, like Minnesota finally unlocked Stephon Diggs for this season. And we're about to get a whole lot more because they clearly do not want to rely too much on the passing game. I'd sell Stephon Diggs this week. If if you can get anything close to what you paid for him, I would sell Stephon Diggs because, yeah, the, we know the volume's going to be down in Minnesota. Kirk Cousins still does not look good he, he, he didn't play well in that game and it just I think it just happened to be Diggs this game and not Thielen because Thielen was pretty much invisible I mean I think that's what we're going to get maybe one of these wide receivers having a fantasy viable game every week but I, I don't think it's going to be both of them just with the volume so so far down in Minnesota yeah and there should be some, still some name value on these guys so I agree I would I, I wouldn't pass up a selling opportunity on either of the two Minnesota wideouts at this point. Yeah. Jarvis Landry came out of nowhere for 10 targets, mm-hmm. eight catches, 167 yards against the Ravens. He made four of his eight catches on linebackers in coverage and two more of those eight catches against safeties. So I think that the takeaway, okay. I guess the first takeaway should be that Jarvis Landry's still alive. So that's good to know, and that it is possible for Baker Mayfield to complete some passes to Jarvis Landry. Now, I think the bigger takeaway is that Baltimore is a more positive passing matchup than we realized because they don't have a full-time third cornerback, which most teams do at this point. There is no third cornerback 
that's consistent, consistently playing 70 plus percent of the snaps for the Ravens at this point. I think that's an issue for them. I think I overlooked that the Cardinals had two wide receivers go for 100 yards against them a couple weeks ago. We've now had three straight quarterbacks throw for 340 plus yards against Baltimore. I, I just think the huge start against Miami and then an easy win against Arizona kind of overshadowed the issues that there are for Baltimore on either side of the ball. And for our sake here, it, it's looking like it's a good idea to play passing game pieces against the Ravens. Yeah, I agree. And <laughs> that's why I played Odell Beckham in some DFS tournaments <laughs> this week. And you know, that, that didn't work out despite Baker Mayfield having a nice bounce back game. It just happened to be Landry with the big game. You mentioned the, you know, the stuff on linebacker and safeties Landry had his longest play of the game a 65 yarder was a little like shovel pass on like a jet sweep type of play so yeah a little fluky still saw the 10 targets which was nice did leave the game late with a concussion first concussion of his career so it will obviously monitor his progress through the protocol this coming week the Browns are going to get Antonio Callaway back this week too from suspension so it'll be interesting to see how, how he fits in mm-hmm uh, it's good for Landry's sake that they play Monday night too. It gives them a little bit extra time to get back. Oh, true. Yep. Watch that. Yeah, yeah, that helps. So yeah, and then Baltimore has Pittsburgh this coming week. So we'll <laughs> see what the Steelers look like tonight throwing the ball, but it could be a mark in favor of Juju. And then, you know, I, before I'm not going to look too far beyond that until we see Mason Rudolph look better than he did against San Francisco. Right. Yeah, for sure. As for the rest of the Browns offense, Nick Chubb, you know, big day, three touchdowns, not usually going to have days like that, not usually going to have an 88-yard touchdown run, but we knew that he's really good and he's getting lots of touches. Yep, another guy who fits into that theme of the week of, you know, chasing volume at running back. Chubb now, he's second in the entire NFL in total opportunities, but 97 behind only Christian McCaffrey, who I think has like 117, which is crazy the amount of touches McCaffrey's getting, but Chubb has 21-plus opportunities in every game, so we'll see what happens when Kareem Hunt gets back, but, you know, until then, and, you know, Chubb is in a locked-in elite fantasy play. Yeah, I'm certainly not scared of Kareem Hunt at the moment if I'm a Nick Chubb owner. Yeah, that's fair. Ricky Seals-Jones came from nowhere himself for three catches, 82 yards, one touchdown on three targets. He did grow his playing time, played three snaps a couple games before, six snaps in week three, 21 snaps yesterday. I will take him over Demetrius Harris, who played mm-hmm. two-thirds of the snaps yesterday against the Ravens and saw zero targets. Otherwise, I'm not really that interested in Ricky Seals-Jones. Yeah, not yet. We need to see his playing time grow. Seals-Jones did trail Harris by only two routes. Ricky Seals-Jones ran around on 41% of Mayfield's dropbacks, and Harris was around 45%. So, you know, the, the, the gap is shrinking, and I wouldn't be surprised if Seals-Jones passes Harris there this week. But, yeah, I mean, we need to get RSJ, you know, into the 60s or 70s. Yeah as far as, you know, percentage of snaps around before we can really count on him as a fantasy option. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to happen. He's a wide receiver that plays tight end. Uh, his snaps are always going to be limited by that, and I just... I don't think there's enough upside to him for him to really make sense here. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, maybe in an FFPC league, you consider adding him if you have room on your bench. But outside of that, I think you can leave him on the waiver wire for now. Now, before we wrap it up, let's talk about this Bucks offense that, that suddenly <laughs> scored 55 points at L.A., I mean, the first, I think, fantasy relevance question here is Ronald Jones. Mm -hmm. So we should wonder, I think, at this point, if he is really taking over the backfield. He has now led Peyton Barber and carries in three of the four games so far. The one game at Carolina, of course, we had 23 Peyton Barber carries to four for Ronald Jones. But otherwise, it's been Jones in each of the other games and carries. 
And yesterday, he finally played more snaps than Peyton Barber for the first time in his career. Right. Now, I mean, watching the Bucks games, it still looks like it's a hot hand situation where, you know, Barber's, I believe, in all four games has been the first guy in. It's, you know, it's just Jones has outproduced him in three of these four games early, and then, and then the Bucks go to Jones. So until we see Jones kind of, you know, be the starter and open up in a lead role, I think there's still a risk to him. But you know, he, he's just, he's been better than Peyton Barber through the first month here. Um, 4.7 yards per carry for Ronald Jones, just 3.4 for Peyton Barber. 0.26 missed tackles forced per touch for Ronald Jones versus just 0.16 for Peyton Barber. So, you know, Jones has been better. The Bucs should go to Ronald Jones. Whether they will, we'll have to see. But, you know, Jones should definitely be owned. I, w- I was surprised to see how many ESPN leagues that Jones wasn't owned in. So if he's available in your league, I would definitely stash him. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if within the next couple of weeks here, the Bucks are sort of committed to him and-, and, you know, we can count on Jones as a fantasy starter. Yeah, I was surprised too. I didn't even think of him as a free agent focused candidate after looking through the stats for the game. And then you told me how much he was available on ESPN. Both running backs scored a touchdown yesterday. Each guy only had one target in the game, even though there were 41 pass attempts by Jameis Winston. So there's not going to be a stud emerging from this backfield. But Ronald Jones certainly has the better shot of being the guy that we bet on more comfortably, I guess, is the way to put it here. And they do have a nice spot at New Orleans this week, a Saints offense that just doesn't look capable of putting the game out of reach of running back carries. Yeah, and I mean, we're never going to love Ronald Jones you know, with the lack of pass catching stuff. But, you know, I mean, we're going to start getting into these weeks with four and six teams and by. And if you think running back's ugly now, when we lose six teams, it's a lot uglier. So, you know, Jones is definitely going to have some value. Uh-huh. That's the week that you got to keep Rex Burkett around for at this point. <laughs> exactly. Jameis Winston, 385 yards, four touchdowns against the Rams. That followed the 380 and three against the Giants. I think the week three numbers, you know, it was easy to say, ah, he faced the Giants at home. Who doesn't mm-hmm. blow up the Giants? But then he went to the Rams and the Rams entered week four as Football Outsiders number four overall defense in DVOA, number five against the pass. So I think it's fair to say that Jameis Winston might be settling in at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Chris Goblin and Mike Evans are just too freaking good for Jameis Winston not to be productive. Winston still had that ugly pick six in the fourth quarter that the Rams brought back for a touchdown and actually got, got the Rams right back in that game. So, you know, he's he's still Jameis at a lot of times, but throwing to Goblin and Evans, I think there's going to be quite a few more big games for Winston this season. Yeah, and I don't care if he puts the Bucks in jeopardy as long as he's giving us fantasy numbers every week. And when you yeah. find that with the, with the defense looking much more beatable over the past two weeks than it did over the first two weeks it it looks like the situation we were hoping that it's going to be for Jameis Winston yep I agree all right so we'll move on from those bucks and we'll finish up as we do every Monday with the streaming defense picks for week five Jared I want to let you give your pick first first I'd say if you you know had the Chargers and use them against Miami um, you can just hang on to them and play them at home for the Broncos but my favorite streaming D this week is the Titans who are home for the Bills we'll see whether it's Josh Allen or Matt Barkley under center it might honestly be better if it's Josh Allen just you know I think he he is more turnover prone than Matt Barkley but I think the Titans are a nice play either way Um, they're already a top six fantasy defense through the first four weeks here they're allowing the fourth fewest points per game the Bills have a 18 point implied total for the opening line for that game yeah they've finished the Titans have finished top 14 in ESPN scoring in three of four weeks so far as a fantasy defense as you mentioned they got Buffalo then they're at Denver Uh, they might even wind up playable beyond that against the Chargers and Bucks at home uh, we'll see how the next two weeks go before I start saying anything about those two, but not necessarily a defense that you'll just use once or twice and then give up. The Titans are just a little bit under 50% owned in uh, 
ESPN leagues. So if they're not available, I think Philly against the Jets this week is a solid option, especially if Sam Darnold remains out. Philly is then at Minnesota in week six, so they might be usable there. And they, if you don't like Philly or if neither the Eagles nor the Titans are available, I think the Panthers are another option at home against Jacksonville this week. Jacksonville has been better than we would have expected after Gardner mm-hmm. came in. But they also allowed five sacks to Denver last week. So there's upside to it. And the Panthers have been good so far on defense. Tenth fewest points allowed per game. Second fewest yards allowed per play. The NFL's best sack rate to this point. And I think there's even room for positive regression on the turnover rate because the Panthers have the 20 rank just 23rd in the rate of opponent drives that have ended in a turnover at this point only four teams though have more interceptions than the Panthers nice yeah I like Carolina's sort of a fallback there and then looking ahead to week six um, yeah nothing really stuck out to me and it's still early but I think we can just sort of look at Cardinals and Texans and you know just sort of attacking them because of the amount of sacks they're giving up so the Texans are at Kansas City in week six Um, you know I I love playing the Chiefs D at home I think they make sense even if the Texans you know put up some points in that game which I think they will I think the Chiefs will be a good sack bet Yeah, and I think the Chiefs are an option this week. They're at home against Indianapolis, which Mm -hmm. isn't a great bet for giving up sacks, but it's also not a a great bet for scoring a ton of points at this point and and getting a lot of stuff downfield. So I think the Chiefs are considerable for this week, considerable for next week. And I think one of the other reasons I like the Panthers is that they're at Tampa next week, which at the moment seems a little scary after what the Bucs did Mm -hmm. on Sunday. But, I mean, otherwise this season it seems like an okay matchup. Yeah, always upside to facing Jameis. (laughs) That's right. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now for our updated rest of the way rankings to see how we stack up all these guys and defenses against each other. You can also find our free agent focus articles for offense and for IDPs. And come Wednesday, we'll have our second buy, sell, hold report of the year. Players that we recommend going out and trying to get, giving up on, or just sitting tight. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaff saying thanks so much for swimming with us.